after a week. Uh, we certainly understand that, and uh, but we're still glad you're here this morning. I want to tell you from a uh, parent-to-parent standpoint, your kids have been absolutely fantastic this week. We have had a wonderful, wonderful week. Now, I say that, I was not their house parent, so you may want to visit with them and get a second opinion, but uh, but they've been amazing, and you've got a great, great group of young folks, and that's been a pleasure this week, as well as all the others that's been a part of this week. We've been talking about all week long, the theme of the week is we're part of a family, and last Sunday morning we started off with talking about uh, the house of God, our memory verse for the week was 1 Timothy chapter 3, 14 through 16. Uh, these things write I unto you, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preaching to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And that has been our theme, the house of God, the family of God. We're a part of the family of God. And we, we are in several different ways. We've talked about individual responsibilities in that house, that we're members in particular of the kingdom of God. But yet at the same time, there's a local congregation aspect of the house of God. And there are elders, and we talked some last night about that, the elder role of elders and deacons and, and each member and what they play in the local capacity as a body of Christ. We've talked about being a part of the body of Christ or part of the family of God in its universal sense. And we're a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, a firstborn, uh, a peculiar people, and uh, zealous of good works. And, and that's you and I as a part of that broader context of all congregations of the Lord's body together are all part. Whoever's called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ... Come in contact with His blood as a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're part of a family. We've talked about our individual homes, uh, responsibilities of moms and dads. We're part of a family. We've got responsibilities there. The last couple of meetings, I specifically have been talking about the house of God. And our verse for, uh, I guess, since Friday night has been Psalm 127, verse number 1, which says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And there needs to be purpose behind what it is that we're doing. And that is the Lord building the house. Now I'm going to review for some of you who have not been here some of the things we've talked about very quickly. But but when you go to building a physical house, and I talked about the fact that I do real estate inspection type work, and we're looking at plans, and we're looking at construction. And when you're uh, building a physical house, the very first thing you want to do is sit down and plan appropriately. Because if you don't plan it, uh, it's hard to get at the end of the project and hope it's there when you didn't have it planned to begin with. I've been a part of some projects where they didn't have the electrical planned out properly or the plumbing planned out properly, etc. And you get down to the end of that project and it creates you other problems on the project. Planning is a very essential part of the building process. And we also talked about it's important to know what code you're under and that I mentioned the fact that I was code certified in the year 2000. I come from a background of code. Section R308.4, item number 6, exception number 5 says you need safety glass in 24 inches of the curve of the door in a closed position unless it's next to an interior closet door that's shallower than 36 inches. The reality is code matters. And it's important to understand what is needed. I've been on projects where where it's kind of build your own home type thing. Somebody sold these people a package for twenty or $30,000. They'd give them subcontractors, but they, they're responsible to build their own house. And we'd go in to inspect those houses and go, well, you're missing safety glass. You don't have safety glass. He said, why didn't somebody tell us? 
You know, we bought this package for twenty, thirty thousand dollars, and nobody told us we need safety glass. We ordered windows, but we don't have safety glass in appropriate locations because of maybe part of that was a planning process, but part of that's not understanding that there's a code that's that's got to be followed. And we've made application to that from a spiritual standpoint that we've got a code book, and it's the Word of God. I saw uh, a lady last week or a couple of weeks ago wearing a shirt that said something along the lines of. Uh, I'm a mom and I also have a book and that book is the Word of God that, that teaches me how to be a mom. Well, that's true of dads. It's true of uncles and aunts and grandparents and it's true for how we worship God. It's all, we've got a code book and that is the New Testament. And, I, and we talked about multiple code books in, in the construction industry. The code books change all the time. Uh, there's a 2000 code, 2003 code, 2006 code. About every three years you get to this new code. Or an electric code. It changes all the time. But the Word of God, that New Testament code that we live under, will stand forever. God's Word will stand forever. And you can memorize those passages and they'll still say what those passages say years down the road. And they're things you can anchor your life on and certainly uh, make application to and, and certainly are true. We talked last evening about the importance of a good foundation. And in the construction industry, if you... If you don't have a good foundation, you're building on top of something that's not good. I mean, that's the very foundational aspect. That's why we call it a foundation of everything else you're building. If you build on shaking sand or, or shifting sand, you're going to end up with a structure that's not going to hold during the time of storm. We looked at Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 24 to talk about that from a spiritual standpoint. Jesus said, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a man which built his house upon a rock. And when the rains descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. It fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. But whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, I will liken him to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And when the rains descended, the floods came and the winds blew. They beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. If we're building on shifting sand, and I want to tell you the Word of God is a is an important element to that foundation, but Jesus Christ Himself is the chief cornerstone. We're building on the rock, uh, the rock of ages, the rock that will not move. And when we start talking about building our homes, being a part of a family, building our churches, part of a family of God in the church standpoint, it's important to think about the foundation. We talked last night about the structure. It's important to be wind braced because guess what? The storms are going to come. The rains are going to descend. The winds are going to blow. The, uh, the, the floods are going to rise, etc. And the re- reality is the storm is going to come. The question is, are we braced for the storm? Have we been built to where that structure is strong and secure? And we made application to that from a standpoint of our lives. Uh, and we looked at some examples in the construction industry, etc. And today I want to talk to you about some other aspects related to structure. And that is that when you put a structure together, there's some other things that you do. You want stuff to come alive inside that structure. When at some point in time you're wiring a house, if I'm looking at it from a construction standpoint, we wire a house, we plumb a house, we put in those rough mechanicals, rough electrical, rough plumbing. And so we've got an air-conditioned unit that's sitting up there that's wired up, etc. We finally put sheetrock up and uh, we finally trim all of that stuff out and we put power to it, we put juice to it and we turn on a light switch and after the fixtures are hung, we get lights. We plug into plugs uh, we turn on a dishwasher. We run water in a sink and water goes down the, down the drain and it goes to where it's supposed to go. Uh, we don't have water leaks because all the supply lines have been properly 
connected and those type of things. All of that life that's within that structure. Now, I recognize that years and years ago, people were just lucky to have shelter out of the weather. They'd walk in and they had, you know, logs basically in four areas or whatever or four different walls. And, and they were happy to be out of the, out of the weather, out of the storm, out of the whatever it was that they were trying to shelter themselves from. And they didn't have some of the amenities we have today. But there's life in these structures today. We turn on a switch, we want lights to come on. And I want to tell you there's some life within the structure of God as well. And we, when we talk about the church, we're talking about when it's an opportunity to worship Him and praise His holy name. He's worthy of praise, worthy of glory, worthy of honor. Michael this week has had a rock up here during the singing instruction. And he used a passage of scripture that if you go back and look at that passage, it's basically Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And the disciples are crying out, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the other folks, the Jewish elite of the day, were saying, Hush your disciples. Don't tell them not to do that. He said, if, if, if they weren't crying out that I was Jesus the Messiah, the rocks would cry it out. So Michael has used that illustration this week. That if you won't sing, this rock is singing his praise. And so you get to hold the rock and let the rock sing this week. And, and what an excellent example of how important it is to praise God. The earth, the creation of God sings forth his praise. Why can't his creation, meaning people, sing forth his praise? It ought to come to life. We have opportunity to sing. It comes to life. He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of glory. He's worthy of honor. So I want to talk to you a little bit about worship this morning from a standpoint of we're all part of that family. Uh, Brother Michael's talked to us and he's put us into sections of sopranos and altos and tenors and basses. We all are a part of that family of of people that are singing. We're covering our parts. We're covering our notes. We're working together with the teamwork that we've talked about this week. All of those things play in. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It comes alive. The Word of God, Brother Michael's talked to us about digging roots down deep into our heart. And I really think that's what music does and singing does for us is it allows us to open up our heart to the Word of God and open up our heart to the things of God. Music is a very powerful tool. I would encourage you to open up your mouth and be a part of the life that is happening within the within the structure of the house of God, if you would. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And what an opportunity to sing God's praise. He is worthy of that. And our hearts are involved in that. Our hearts are opened up to the things of God. First Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 15. Now, I just want you to notice in all this, we're going to the code book. This is the code book. This is the first century church. First Corinthians chapter 14 is a chapter that specifically deals with what do you do when you come together to worship God? First Corinthians 14 deals with those issues. Verse number 15 said, What is it then? I'll pray with the Spirit. I'll pray with the understanding also. I'll sing with the Spirit. I'll sing with the understanding also. I'll sing with life in it. I'll sing with understanding in it. I'll know what it is that I'm singing about. All of those things are important. And our services come alive. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 12. In the midst of the church, I'll sing praise unto thee. He is worthy of praise and glory and honor. And what a privilege to be his child today. And we have so much to sing about uh, that that we could use our lips to proclaim and sing forth his praise. 
I got up this morning out of bed and I put one foot in front of another. I can praise God for that. I took a, a deep breath of air this morning. My lungs were working this morning. I can praise God for that. I can see. And if you think about all the things that go into the eyes working and, and, and working together with my brain and other aspects of my body, I can sing forth praise for that. I can see color and dimension and texture and all those different things that go into eyesight. God is an amazing God. And I'm, those are things I don't even have to think about. I've got an autonomic nervous system within my body that, that those things happen without me even having to think, oh, I'm going to look at something or, oh, I'm going to, but my heart's going to beat or my lungs are going to breathe. My diaphragm's going to work. All those things are important aspects. I, it's what makes me come alive. I can sing praise to him for those things. And I want to tell you in the midst of the church, I will sing praise unto thee. A prayer was a part of that first century worship in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If we're going back to the code book, let's do what they did in the code book. Let's see the commands that were given to the first century church. And notice the first aspect of this phrase, I'll pray with the Spirit. I'll pray with the understanding also. This morning we've had an opportunity to go to Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father in a word of prayer. And what a privilege to be able to have a line of communication with God. The things within the body of Christ as a part of His family come alive when we together as a body of Christ work together to, uh, to that end. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7, the first century church had teaching. Uh, upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. Ready to part on the mar and continued his speech until midnight. They had preaching. They had a didactic discourse in the, uh, in the first century church in their worship service. And apparently it was fairly long winded at the time. I'll try not to repeat that this morning. First Corinthians chapter 14 verse number 23. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned and, un- and unbelievers, will they not say you're mad? You know, if, if I came in here and I spoke this entire service in Spanish and you didn't understand Spanish, it would not be that edifying for you. You would be wondering what was going on. Michael told me recently he was in France and he sat in a service where they spoke French uh, the entire service. And, and they had an English service, but they, timing reasons, couldn't make the English service. That would have to be interesting to sit inside a service that you didn't understand anything. It brings these passages alive. And I want to tell you, though, this morning we're not experiencing those issues, at least most of us. There might be somebody in the crowd that doesn't understand English. But the reality is all of us are able to participate and understand what is taking place. And it's important that that happen because that helps build us up and teach us the Word of God. First Corinthians chapter 14, this same chapter that talks about how to organize the services, says, let your women keep silence in the churches. For it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they're commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they'll learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. You skip a couple of verses, go down to verse number 37. He says, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. You talk to folks today and they'll say, well, Paul, it was a different culture and Paul was a woman hater and there was a lot of things. It didn't say that at all. In fact, it said it's a commandment of God. We're going to the code book and we're going to make sure we're in the appropriate code book and we're looking in the New Testament and we open it up and what the code has asked us to do, that's what it is that we want to do and want to be obedient to. Verse number 29, let the prophet speak two or three 
let the others judge. Uh, if you're wondering what a prophet is, 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 3 defines that. A prophet speaks words of edification, exhortation, and comfort. And certainly, when our teaching service is happening, uh, we speak two, and at the most by three, let the others judge. You've got a responsibility as an audience to judge the things that are being spoken as to whether they're from God's word or not. 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 31, For we may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. Everybody can learn together and learn the Word of God. And it comes alive when we work collectively to make that happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 33 says, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So when we go to the code book and we want to make the structure of the house of God come alive, we sing and we pray and we teach. We're doing what it is that the code book has asked us to do. And, and that's what we're asking for is what the code book asked us to do. And we want it to come alive when we turn the switches on, that it comes alive. When we turn on the air conditioner, it comes alive. When we uh, run water in the sink, that it's operating, it's doing what it is that it's supposed to do. It comes alive. And I want to tell you, the church has an opportunity to come alive as a body of Christ and do the things from a worship standpoint that they need to do. Worship isn't all of it. When we leave these doors, we've got a ministry out there. The church needs to come alive and make a difference to the community around us. First century church on the first day of the week communed together. We're going to do that this morning as well. And we're going to remember the sacrifice of Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to just imagine for just a moment a community where no one remembered the sacrifice of Christ. Now you can turn on your newscast and on any given Sunday they're talking about going to the beach or they're going out to the lake or they've got their boat hooked up or we've got playtime. And there's a lot of folks that spend a lot of time worrying about those kind of things. And I'm not against play. We talked about it some this this week. I'm not against leisure. In our family, we've got a saying that says you work hard when it's time to work hard, play hard when it's time to play hard. That way when you're playing hard, you don't feel guilty for work. For playing hard because you worked hard when it was time to work hard. And if you ask my kids that phrase, they can repeat it to you. I'm all for playing and I'm all for enjoying playing. But there's a time to play and there's a time to work. And those things, keeping those things and keeping life in balance is an important aspect of it. But in our community, there are some folks that have said, we're going to remember the sacrifice of Christ. And this is not a playtime. This is time to worship. This is time for His church to come alive. First Corinthians chapter 11 of verse number 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he's betrayed took bread. And when he had break it, he said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So we've taken the code book and the first century church did that on the first day of the week and we do that on the first day of the week. That New Testament code book. Uh, after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as often as ye drink it, it remembers of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And then wherefore, uh, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Um, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I'd like you to stop for a moment and look at a couple of things. There's none of us that are worthy to partake of the communion. But this word that's used in this verse isn't worthy. Worthy is an adjective. We've talked a lot this week about paying attention to the Word of God and, and what's happening in the verbiage of the Word of God. Worthy is an adjective. 
Worthy, an adjective is descriptive of a noun. That's the person. But this is worthily or unworthily. That's an adverb. That's an action word. An adverb is modifying a verb. And the verb in this case is how you're partaking of the communion. None of us are worthy, but we don't partake of it in an unworthily manner. It's the way we're partaking of it. But if we do it in an unworthily manner that we're not discerning the Lord's body, then we eat and drink damnation to ourselves. This is serious stuff. This is important stuff. When the first century church came together, they laid by in store. They had contribution. We're going to do that this morning. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And the church, the body of Christ, the house of God, has come alive. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 6 and verse number 7. We've talked some this week about living your life in a way that you're a giver, not a taker. Second Corinthians chapter 9 says, This I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly of necessity. God loveth a cheerful Giver. So we've talked this week about abundant giving, a spirit of giving, cheerful giving, all of those things we've talked about this week. The body of Christ ought to come alive. Now, when I go do an inspection on somebody's house, and this happened just this last week, I was looking at a house and, and it had a shed roof on the front, and the code says that you've got to have one square foot of ventilation for every 150 square foot of space. That's what the code says. And there's some caveats to the code that those numbers will change to one square foot of ventilation for every 300 square feet, depending on the situation. But the generic rule, one square foot of ventilation for every 150 square foot of space. This guy's got a front porch. He doesn't have any ventilation. So my job as the inspector is to call out the fact he doesn't have appropriate ventilation. So that's what I did. Well, as the process went through, some of the challenges of the inspection business is is that uh, on one side, you're protecting a consumer, you're protecting your customer. On the back side, there's a seller that's trying to sell that house, and he's not happy because he's got to fix one square foot of ventilation for every 150 square foot of space, and he's been living in that house for 10 years, and he didn't know he had that problem, and he's not happy he's got to fix that problem. One of the problems with the inspection business is somebody's mad when somebody's happy, and that's pretty much all the time. But you know the reality is when we're training superintendents when a house is brand new and we're, we're training them how to construct properly, we would turn somebody down on something and let's say it's a ventilation issue. You don't have proper ventilation and they'll storm and they'll get mad and I just can't believe and all that sort of stuff. And after a while you just kind of let that stuff roll off of you. Our answer basically to the superintendent when it's all said and done is all I need is one square foot of ventilation for every 150 square feet. He says, well, I think I did, you know, need to do this and I'm going to go over there and said, that's fine. But all I need is one square foot of ventilation for every 150 square feet. That's all I need. If you can just get that, then we can move on to the next stage. Nobody's mad at one another. I'm not mad at you. You're not mad at me. I've had superintendents call me the next day after they've blown up and and they're going, hey, man, I really am sorry. I hope you don't hold this against me the rest of my life, you know, and I can't ever get an inspection passed because you're, you're mad at me because of, I'm not mad at you anything. What I need is one square foot of ventilation for every 150 square feet. That's all I need. If you can get that, we move on to the next house. But that's what I need. You know, the reality is, is we've got a code book. 
And you know what God's asking from you? Is not minimum code standards. And that's really what I'm asking for from a superintendent. All I need is you to meet the minimum. Somebody goes, well, I'll do more than that. Great, God, God bless you. But all I need is one square foot for every 150 square foot of space. But I can tell you one thing that's different in the Lord's house versus home construction is God's not asking for the minimum code standards. And I tell you, there's a lot of folks that are doing that. I sang, check. I prayed, check. I communed, check. There was teaching, check. We had contribution, check. I go home, I've got minimum code standards. That's all he needed was one square foot for every 150 square foot of space. And we go on to the next house or whatever. And I want to tell you, God's not asking for the minimum. You know what God's asking for? Your heart. He's asking for everything you got. He's asking for your heart, soul, and mind. He's asking for everything you've got to worship Him and praise Him. He wants this place to come alive. And He wants it to do it not from the minimum standards, expectations, or, or the least that you can possibly get by with. He wants you to want to. Now, I can tell you one of the, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a secret to child rearing here. In my opinion, we're, we're done with child rearing. We're to the grandkids stage. So I'm going to give you a secret that we found out. And it really is true. Listen up. This will help you parent. The secret to child rearing is not a bunch of rules. I'm not saying you don't have rules. We had rules in our house. But I'm saying the secret to child rearing is not about rules and obeying rules. The secret to child rearing is attempting with everything you've got as a parent to turn a child's heart to want to do it. And they want to do it to be pleasing to God. They want to do it because their heart is changed. They're not having to do it. They're wanting to do it. And I will tell you that is the challenge for parenting. It is the challenge because it's real easy for parents to go, no, 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 or yes, or whatever. Here's the rules. This is, you're violating the rules. You're punished for the rules, etc. What's challenging is to get a kid's heart. I want to encourage all our young people that are here today. God wants your heart. God does not want you sitting there going, well, I did this and I did that and I did. I'm not saying the code book's not important. It's important to do the code book. But I'm telling you. Part of that code book is God wants everything you got. When it's time to sing, don't give him the minimum. When it's time to pray, don't give him the minimum. When it's time to teach and, and commune and contribute, don't give him the minimum. Do it because you want to. And, and I tell you, there's a level of spiritual maturity when our hearts turn from having to do to wanting to do. And a church group, a church family, the Lord's house comes alive when that takes place. This afternoon, we're going to talk about building God's house part four, but we're going to switch gears just a little bit. We're going to talk about our homes. We're going to talk about using the code book for our homes, and we're going to talk about moms and dads and children and that type of thing this afternoon. May God bless you. May God bless you in everything that you do. May God's countenance shine down upon you. If you're a parent or a grandparent here, aunt or an uncle, that God's blessing would be with you. And as you influence these children that you're raising, that God would bless you in those things and that you'd see blessing in your home. We pray for good things for you. And I know this morning, these elders stand here this morning with their arms wide open. And they want you to have a heart that wants to serve God. And 
if you've got a spiritual need, whatever that spiritual need may be, maybe you've never been baptized into Christ and you need to do that. Maybe you've done that and you've fallen by the wayside. You could sit here this morning and check it off your list and go, well, but that's not what baptism is. Baptism's wanting your heart. He wants you to love him with everything you got. How's your heart this morning? And how's your relationship with God, your spiritual life? How are those things? Are you sitting back and just checking off and giving him the minimum? Or you, has your heart really turned to want to serve him? And if, if this morning the church can assist you with any of those spiritual needs, we certainly stand here this morning with arms wide open. We want you to be a part of that family that wants to go, work through life together and hold hands together and let's go through life together. Let's make a difference for the cause of Christ. Won't you come while we stand and sing the song that's been selected?